Welcome to Mysteries to Die For and this toe tag. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is normally a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you at the heart of a mystery. Today is a bonus episode that we call a toe tag. It's the first chapter from a fresh release in the mystery, crime, and thriller genre. Today's feature release is not a single book, but 35 novellas and a collection called A Grifter Song. The collection was conceived and edited by Frank Zafiro, with episodes written by Frank and 29 other authors, myself included. When it comes to Mysteries to Die For, Jack and I take a lot of pride and fun in recording these essentially live, and he delights to all my screw-ups. When it comes to these toe tags, with Jack now being away at school, it gets a little bit more tricky and we have to rely on technology. This time we're going to rely on technology even more because in the original recording of this toe tag, I screwed up and I read the wrong uh, chapter. So you are going to benefit from my mistake because instead of just getting one chapter today, you are going to get three chapters from three different books in the Grifter Song. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. We are going to start with an excerpt from The Concrete Smile. I say an excerpt because The Concrete Smile is about a 64-page novella that is one chapter. So this is not labeled as chapter one in the book, but it comes from very early in the story. So here we go. He met with Finch for early dinner, though the dinner consisted of Chinese takeout that Sam had brought him to the upscale hotel. He stopped a block away and texted a question mark with his throwaway phone. A few minutes later, the phone buzzed and OK appeared on the screen. In the lobby, Sam made straight for the elevators and up to the third floor. Finch was in room 1570, and he gave the door three quick raps. Finch opened the door and he slipped inside. You get Kung Pao? Finch asked. Kung Pao tastes like duck vomit, he said. Then duck vomit must be delicious, Finch said. I got you some, Sam said, handing the bag to the older, rangy man. Finch took the bag and went to the couch in the small living room of the suite. As he dug through the bag, Sam settled in the chair opposite him. Did you see him last night? Finch asked without looking up. Yeah, Sam said. He was in the mood for pounding them back at the stone pilgrim. And? Finch prompted. He's close, I think. You think or you know? Finch pulled a carton from the bag and opened it. Ah, he sighed. Lucky's has the best Kung Pao in the country. He told me about the deal, Sam said, and he talked a lot about being aggressive. Then he tried to be a little coy about what that meant, but it was pretty clear what he intends to do. Which is? Finch tore the paper from a pair of chopsticks and started to eat. He's going to flip the offer, Sam said. Jesus, finally! Finch spoke around a mouthful of food. I don't know how many more hints I could drop to this guy. Is he cautious or just stupid? Definitely not stupid, Sam said. Well, he's one cautious son of a bitch then. Maybe you roped the wrong one, Sammy. Sam gave him a tired look. You said that the last time, and we made out pretty good on that one. That was six years ago, Finch said. Maybe you lost your touch. The touch gets better with time, Finch, not worse. That's what all the athletes think, too, Finch said. Sam smiled indulgently. Finch busting balls was part of the package, and while some of the game might not like it, Sam did for some reason. Will the website hold up, he asked. 
Finch snorted. Of course it will. That part just keeps getting easier. I knocked it out in half a day. Social media is harder than the static website. Jacobson is pretty old school, Sam said. Yeah, but Jacobson Concrete and Drywall has a Facebook page, Finch said. I know, Sam said. It's bare bones and hasn't had a post in nine months. Which is why I didn't bother setting one up for Dylan Brothers. But our website looks great. And the books, Sam asked. Finch grinned. Already. That was fast, Sam said. It's because I stole them. Sam raised an eyebrow. Yeah, Finch confirmed. I lifted the past three years from a company in Irvine, California, changed the header and the first few transactions, then did a little find and replace on the rest of the spreadsheet. They need to be losing money, Sam said. And I doctored that too, Finch assured him. They're bleeding. Heavily, Sam asked. Yes, yes, but I made it more like internal bleeding, not easily spotted, but there. And that'll pass muster, Sam asked. Sammy, don't you see how perfect it is? It's mostly real. Of course it'll pass muster. Sam didn't reply right away. And who says pass muster anymore, Finch asked. Shake his head while he popped another piece of chicken into his mouth. A bit of sauce dribbled onto his beard. Barry Jacobson, Sam said absently. Finch chuckled at that. Maybe you're not past your prime yet, my boy. We'll see, Sam said. That night, he picked up Patty to take her to the bar again. On the way, he coached her on the role he wanted her to play. She seemed intrigued, as always. What kind of game are you playing, hon? He ignored the question. You're set on the plan? She shrugged. Easy enough. They arrived before Jacobson and nursed a drink and an appetizer for the better part of an hour. Sam set his lucky Zippo on the table, absently toying with it. You can't smoke in here, Patty told him. Can't in most places these days. Sam nodded. I know. Patty looked at him for a while. You don't smoke, do you? Not anymore. Well, then why the lighter? Sam didn't answer. His mind drifted to another bar years ago when he'd first seen Rachel. She'd been dressed to land a whale, and he recognized that same quality that Jacobson would struggle to define to him years later. He watched her for a bit. When it was clear that the pickings were slim, he sat down and offered her a cigarette. I don't smoke, Rachel had said. Sam shrugged and put the pack away. Do you kiss? He asked casually. She smirked, but behind the smirk, she looked closer at him. And after a moment, he could tell she saw the same thing he saw, another grifter. No lips that touch a cigarette ever touch mine, she said. Her tone somehow curt and playful at the same time. Wordlessly, Sam dropped the pack of cigarettes on the bar and pushed them away. He pocketed the lighter, though. It had been his father's. Just like that, Rachel asked. Just like that, Sam said. The smoldering look between them should have put off anyone with half a clue. But Sam thanked God, the world over, that he created so many marks who didn't meet that minimum criteria. One of them approached and sat down on the other side of Rachel. Is this guy bothering you? He asked her, his voice full of bravado that comes with money. A touch of a smile tugged at the corner of Rachel's mouth, and that was all it took for Sam to understand. Yes, Rachel told the mark, still looking at Sam. Yes, he is. Sam played the role, and they took him for almost $6,000. Where did you go? Patty asked him. Sam glanced around the stone pilgrim. 
Still no Jacobson. Nowhere, he told Patty. You remember what to do? She sipped her drink. Please, I'm a professional. All right, so that is an excerpt from early on in the Concrete Smile. Next for you, we have chapter one in book two, which is titled People Like Us and was written by J.D. Rhodes. Chapter one. Aunt Sally was the real deal, Sam said. A legend, a grifter's grifter. Rachel looked around the front parlor of the old lady's house in Raleigh, North Carolina, and thought of the old saying, if you can't tell who the mark in the room is, it's probably you. The parlor was well lit, the tall windows as clear as if they'd never seen a speck of dirt. The cup and saucer balanced on Rachel's knee looked as if it had been in the old lady's family since the Civil War, maybe longer. The lady herself peered at Rachel over her archaic half-moon spectacles, her eyes bright blue and kind and surrounded by wrinkles. The whole scene was placid and bright and reassuring, and it made Rachel want to scream running from the room. Sam's told me all about you, Aunt Sally said, but he didn't do justice to how pretty you are. She turned to Sam and shook a playfully admonishing finger at him. You didn't tell me she was a knockout like a young Rita Hayworth. Thank you, Rachel murmured, thinking, Jesus, she's really laying it on thick. She took a sip of her tea and looked at Sam. He was regarding the old lady fondly, as if she actually was a favorite aunt. He looked at Rachel. Yeah, he said, she's really something. But she doesn't trust me. The smile was still there, but it no longer reached Aunt Sally's eyes. Do you, sweetie? Rachel put the cup down on the side table. No, I mean no, ma'am. It's nothing personal. I just met you. There was a brief silence. From out on the lawn, Rachel could hear the sound of a lawnmower, pushed by the gray-haired black man who nodded to them as they came up the flagstone walkway to the deep front porch. When she spoke, the old woman was all injured innocence. The fact that Sam vouches for me doesn't mean anything? It means a lot, Rachel said, but if you know Sam as well as I do, you know he's got a sentimental streak, especially for the people he knew coming up in the game. Sometimes he loses sight of one really important fact, which is a grifter's gonna grift. The old lady's smile vanished, and then she laughed, a high body cackle that seemed incongruous with the genteel elderly woman. When she recovered and spoke again, the sweet southern accent was gone, replaced by a harsh drawl that was pure trailer trash. God damn, Sammy boy, she's not only pretty, she's whip smart too. I like this one. Rachel arched an eyebrow at Sam. This one, she mouthed. He looked away as if he hadn't seen it. The old woman stood up and stretched, the muscles and ligaments in her back popping like bubble wrap. She grimaced, then leaned over and extended a hand to Rachel. Come on in the kitchen, hon, she said. Let's talk about the peckerwood asshole we're going to take down. When Sam first broached the subject, Rachel had been incredulous. Raleigh, she said? You mean the one in North Carolina? He seemed nettled by her skepticism. I don't think there's another one. She sat up in the bed and reached for a cigarette. What the hell's in Raleigh? Aunt Sally, he said. She frowned as she lit up. I thought she was retired or dead. He shook his head. Guess not. She sent me word a while back. 
while we were still setting up in St. Louis. A nice, juicy mark. Some rich asshole with a fetish for Civil War artifacts. Rachel tilted her head and looked at him through narrow eyes. And I suppose she has some rare, priceless piece to sell him? Sam nodded. That's what she says. She says she'll fill us in on the details when we get there. And to what do we owe this golden opportunity? Rachel asked. He shrugged. We go way back, Aunt Sally and me. She was one of the first grifters I worked with. She taught me a lot. She said she heard we'd fallen on hard times. Rachel put the cigarette in the ashtray beside the bed. Hard times? That's what she said. Sam looked away. Yeah. Rachel reached out, took his chin gently in her hand, and pulled him back around to face her. So she knows about the contract out on us. He sighed. By now, pretty much everyone in the game does. And you're okay with putting her at risk? Rachel asked. That's her decision, Sam said. She knows what she's doing. Like Finch? Rachel regretted the words as soon as she said them. Sam looked away. He was quiet for a moment. She knows the risk, he said. Rachel didn't reply immediately, but was considering the proposal. Then she asked, and it didn't occur to you that she might be setting us up? He shook his head. No, not Aunt Sally. She doesn't have any reason to do any favors for anyone in Philadelphia. She hates them, actually. It goes back to the old Dixie Mafia days. That's ancient history, Sam. Rachel, he said soberly, we're talking about the South here. There's no such thing as ancient history. All right, so that is the first chapter of the first book, The Concrete Smile. So you got to meet Sam and Rachel, our two grifters. So over the next 34 books, Sam and Rachel crisscross the U.S. looking for their next mark and trying to stay one step ahead of the Philadelphia mob, all the way until book 35, Into the Dying Sun. So this is the end of the series. Said it's also written by Frank Zafiro, and we are going to pick up with the fourth chapter. It's titled Rachel. She remained over the toilet, holding her stomach, unsure if she was finished. When the nausea seemed to pass, she flushed. A quick glance in the mirror told a sad story. She frowned and cleaned up, rinsing out her mouth and brushing her teeth. When did this start? It wasn't hard to recall. San Diego, the fake development deal that devolved into a kidnapping and murder. They'd barely escaped. Both of them were still sore from those injuries, although the slings and bandages had come off a week ago. But the nausea appeared before the violence, before they entered the swanky hotel conference room to present the pitch and secure the deal, in fact. At the time, she chalked it up to uncharacteristic nerves. When it didn't subside later, she suspected stomach flu. It's not the flu, she thought, not something I ate. The enormity of the realization settled on her while she scrubbed the aftertaste of bile from her teeth. Her mind flashed back to the only other time this had occurred, out west, in Sacramento and Lake Tahoe, the crypto scam. She lost the baby shortly after finding out there was one. When she told Sam about it afterwards, most of his concern was for her well-being. She loved him for that, but he'd been devastated, she could tell. She loved him for that, too. Rachel spit and rinsed off her toothbrush. She stared at herself in the mirror of the hotel bathroom. What now? A normal life was never in the cards for them. 
but both harbored a dream of an escape, enough money to live comfortably and anonymously somewhere warm and pleasant, their tropical island fantasy. While a child didn't have to be part of that fantasy, Rachel knew that both of them would welcome the idea. That's all it is now, she told herself, an idea. She wouldn't let it become the hope of a child, not yet. Not until she knew it wasn't gonna happen again like it did before. Her own accusing eyes stared back at her. No, that was wrong. She couldn't keep this from Sam. They'd made a promise. It was the two of them against the world. They were in this together. And this meant everything. I have to tell him. Rachel rinsed her mouth one final time and left the bathroom. She found Sam on the balcony where she left him, checking their dead drop voicemails. Now he stood near the rail, his phone dangled from his hand at his side, and he stared off into the distance. She immediately knew something was wrong. What is it? she asked. He turned, his expression stricken. William left me a voicemail, he said, his voice thick with grief. Rachel knew what he was going to say next, but she waited quietly for him to say it. Sam swallowed before he spoke. Aunt Sally is dead. They rented a car and left for Atlanta. Their deal with Rex was dead, so there was nothing keeping them in Houston. Rachel consoled Sam as they drove. Since they left so late in the day, she convinced him to stop in Mobile for the night. She held him close as he fell into a fitful sleep. She didn't give voice to her thoughts, but instead held her tongue until the morning. Once they were outside the city, though, she finally said it. Is this smart? she asked. Sam shot her a sidelong glance, then returned his eyes to the road. She was good to me, he said. I know that, Rachel said. It's Atlanta, not Raleigh, he said. Nothing of what happened last time is there to trip us up. It's a new place. But it's the same people, Rachel said. God damn it, Rach. What do you want me to do? Skip her funeral? Leave her brother high and dry? Rachel didn't answer right away. It wouldn't be the first farewell that they decided not to attend. Showing up as the body gets lowered into the ground was something they'd gone out of their way to avoid. But this was Aunt Sally. She partnered with Sam before Rachel met him. Shown on the ropes with his other mental porter, couldn't or wouldn't. Aunt Sally was part of what made Sam the man she loved. Convincing him not to pay his respects to her was too large of an ask, regardless of the risk. Rachel kept quiet. Sometimes people needed to do something. It had been that way for her when one of her only true friends died. She and Sam had gone to Denver, even though Sam had been tortured in that city, and it had been a mistake. This probably was too. Staying away was the smartest thing, but it wasn't an option. They drove onward, the sedan eating up the miles throughout the day. Half a dozen times she opened her mouth to tell him about the baby, but each time she stopped herself. Giving him the news now, while he was in the midst of his grief, it would tarnish it. Not only that, but he might take it as her manipulating him to beg off the funeral. She didn't want that tension between them. So she decided to wait. After the funeral, once they were away from Atlanta, they'd have a conversation. She'd break the news. They'd celebrate and then figure out what was next. All right, so that is the fourth chapter, 
of Into the Dying Sun. Want to know why I didn't read chapters 1, 2, or 3? Well, you're going to have to read Into the Dying Sun, and then it'll be really obvious why I picked chapter 4. So, let me tell you my review of the collection, A Grifter Song. So, it is a crime thriller series. Sam and Rachel are longtime lovers and lifelong grifters. No mark is too big, no scheme is too hot. They zigzag across the continent looking to make their next score and stay ahead of Little Vincent and the Philadelphia mob. From the first book to the last, nothing is sacred except the love that they have for each other. So bottom line, a grifter song is for you if you get your thrills cheering for heroes who live on the other side of the tracks. Strengths of this series? Well, Zafiro created a world for the grifters with the full backstory that drives Sam and Rachel's continuous need to move on. They have a few trusted acquaintances, including a computer hacking expert and um, Aunt Sally here, but they have too many enemies, thanks to the long arms of the Philadelphia mob. So these are novellas. All of the stories are under 30,000 words, which is about 100 pages, making them easy reads that fit into a busy lifestyle. Stories have equivalent ratings of PG up to R, but most are pretty hardcore. Uh, LOL, my episode, number 30, good for it, is definitely at the lighter end of the scale. Each story is a unique blend of Severa's world and the imagination and style of the individual authors. Sam and Rachel remain true to themselves and each other, no matter what situation they are thrown into. So where do the stories fall short of ideal? Well, the series concept is well-developed and provides a framework that is defined enough to provide continuity, but open enough to give authors room to work. Readers are bound to have favorite stories and stories that they like less. I certainly do. If you don't love one, I encourage you to keep reading. Overall, this is an incredibly satisfying series to read. Now for behind-the-scene interviews uh, between Frank and his writers, you can check out his podcast called Wrong Place, Right Crime, that's W-R-I-T-E Crime, wherever you get your podcast. In prep for finishing up the series, Frank did some interviews with everyone asking them questions, including how do you think the book is, or the series is going to end? And I will say, I was wrong. All books in A Grifter Song were released from Down and Out Books and are available from Amazon and other book retailers. I have a link to the series in the show notes. So let me introduce you to Frank. Frank writes gritty crime fiction on both sides of the badge. Frank served in the U.S. Army from 86 to 91 in military intelligence as a Czechoslovak linguist. In 1993, he became a police officer in Spokane, Washington. During his career, he worked as a patrol officer, corporal, and detective. In 2002, he became a sergeant and entered into leadership roles. He was fortunate enough to command patrol officers, investigators, the K-9 unit, and the SWAT team. He retired from law enforcement in 2013 as a captain in order to write full-time and to teach. So that wraps up this toe tag. Jump into a grifter song. Start with book one, The Concrete Smile, and read all the way through until you are into the dying sun. Thank you for joining us. And come back here. We'll see. This is a special toe tag. So come back in a few days and we will have another episode ready for you. All right, Jack, take us out. <laughs>